Welcome to Walking in Faith with Pastor Rob Currington. This podcast is dedicated to helping develop lifelong seekers of the Kingdom of God. Each week, Pastor Rob helps bring God's message for living to those seeking a richer and more Christ-filled life. Now let's join Pastor Rob as he shares this week's message. All right, well go ahead and uh, grab your Bibles. Turn to Philippians chapter 3. Philippians chapter 3, starting in verse 15, we're going to begin this morning the reading of our passage. We're going to be looking at Philippians chapter 3, verses 15 through chapter 4, verse 3. Here's what Paul says. He says this, Let those of us who are mature think this way. And if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me, and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. For many of whom I have often told you and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their end is destruction. Their God is their belly, and they glory in their shame with minds set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him even to subject all things to Himself Therefore, my brothers, whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel, together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers, whose names are in the book of life. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, our merciful, eternal, and loving God, Father, open our eyes to your word this morning. Let it be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Illuminate our minds that we may perfectly understand your word and that our lives may be conformed to what we have rightly understood that in nothing we may be displeasing unto you, Father. We know that this is only possible by the power of your Spirit. And we ask this in the name of Jesus Christ, your Son. Amen. Well, when you come to the end of a letter, like Philippians or some of the other letters in the New Testament, sometimes it can be a little bit hard to know how to break up the passages for sermons. You get some of these little personal Bits. So some of it may seem like it doesn't fit together, but I think you'll see how this all fits together and how what Paul says here, even to specific people, really is just an application of the same things he's been teaching in the rest of Philippians. And the truth is, every word that we find here is the word of God, and he has something to say through it. And our passage this morning is essentially the conclusion to the body of the letter. We had said when we begun that chapter 
Chapter 1, verse 27, was kind of the beginning of the body of Paul's material here in Philippians. And chapter 4, verse 1, is really the conclusion to the body of the letter. And we'll see that. He's essentially pushing the same message that he's been pushing all along. The church has got to stick together to be effective. So we've been looking at this theme of unity and, and, and the way that they're going to do that, the way that we're going to stand firm in the Lord is with a Christ-like mindset and a Christ-like focus. And that's exactly what he's going to emphasize here again this morning. Because, and this is because it's vitally important to understand this, both for you as an individual and us as a church. It's vital not only for our effectiveness in making Christ known, but it's vital for our survival in a hostile culture. And it's, it's vital for us in our pursuit to know God more deeply. Last week, we heard Paul's warning about those who claim the name of Christ, but add to the gospel message. They, they claimed the name of Christ, but last week we saw these people he talked about were adding performance to the gospel. You need to believe in Jesus, and you also need to follow these Old Testament Laws. This was the danger of a group we call the Judaizers. Well, this week, Paul tackles a different danger. It's similar, but it's different. It sounds different, but it ends up being the same. Paul, this week in our passage, is tackling those who claim the name of Christ, but live just like the world. In other words, they say they believe in Jesus, but then they just do whatever they want. Both of these extremes deny the gospel of Christ. We'll see that this morning. And so the structure of our text this morning is a command by Paul, and then he's going to give the reason for this command, and then show some application at the end. So first, the command. Paul's command in this text is to join together in imitating the right people. To join together in imitating the right people. Together as a church, as family, as friends, we should be seeking to imitate the right people. We should be seeking to imitate Paul. That's what he calls us to here in this text. Together, we should seek to imitate faithful and mature believers. To put it simply, we should, we should follow the example of those who are more mature in the faith than us. He says this in verse 15. Let those of us who are mature think this way, referring back to what he's been teaching and if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to, also to you. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. Brothers, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. Now, the first thing to point out in this text is this concept of maturity. It says, let those of you who are mature think this way. We, we, we understand what this means. A mature person is someone who acts their age. It's someone who has grown and developed into a, a whole person as they should have. Someone who lacks maturity is someone who doesn't act their age. Someone who should be further along than they are. Right? It's, it's someone who lacks maturity sometimes can be striking to us. It's the, the 30-something-year-old man who has no job and just sits playing video games all day, living with his parents. And the lack of maturity is you should be producing, you should be earning, you should be taking care, you should be contributing. Or, or, or sometimes maybe a, like an older woman who throws fits like a toddler, and it's striking because it's, you're lacking the maturity you should have in this stage of life. 
The same thing is true in our spiritual lives. You see, the, the, the goal of Paul's ministry was to bring believers to spiritual maturity. The, the goal of his ministry was to bring believers to spiritual maturity. That's the goal of our Christian lives, to grow, to grow in our Christian faith. Listen to how Paul talks about this in Colossians. He, he gives the aim of his ministry in Colossians chapter 1. He says this, Him, Jesus, we proclaim, warning everyone and teaching everyone with all wisdom. Here's his goal, that we may present everyone mature in Christ. It's the same word. For this I toil, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works in me. See what Paul's saying there? I give all my energy, I toil for this goal, that I may present everyone mature in Christ Jesus. Paul gave his life to proclaim Christ and to teach Christ so that he could present the believers that he knew, his brothers and sisters, mature in Christ. Maturity is the goal of the Christian faith. Every Christian should be seeking to grow in their spiritual life. Just as it strikes us to see a person who's not developing themselves and just stagnating in our spiritual life as well. It should strike us as wrong when someone's just stagnating and not seeking to grow. Now, even the Apostle Paul admits that we saw last week in the text that he hasn't fully arrived. So when there's a sense in which we never fully arrive, no one, none of us are going to make it to perfection in this life, but we still must pursue maturity. We should all be pursuing Growth And when it comes to spiritual maturity, Paul here in this text gives two areas that if we want to grow, we should imitate him. We are to imitate his thinking and imitate his living. In other words, we are to imitate his doctrine, his mindset, and we are to imitate his life. Notice what he says in verse 15. He says, let those of us who are mature think this way. In other words, mature believers will think similarly to the Apostle Paul. And what he has taught us previously in Philippians. Remember, he had just said in our text previous that his entire life and energy is aimed at pressing on toward the goal of the upward call of Christ Jesus. His life is aimed at Christ because he knows the inestimable value of Christ. Christ is his prize. Christ is his focus. His life is focused on knowing Christ and making Him known. And Paul says, if you are mature, this is how you must think. That's how he phrases it. Let those of us who are mature think this way. And the way this is structured is, is interesting. He, includes, he, he commands the believers to think this way, but he includes himself in the command because he understands. Let all of us who are mature remember to think this way. This is how we should think. It's almost as if Paul is preaching to himself as well. He too is still in process. But the point is this. We are to imitate Paul's mindset that is on display in this text. And that's kind of the main theme of the text here in Philippians. This idea of mindset. Having the right mindset. Being focused on the right thing. Having the the right aim and orientation of your life. He talks about this multiple times. And he's going to hit on this multiple times throughout our text. How you think. How you view the world determines everything about your life and your eternal destiny. That's what we're going to see. And Paul says here, you have to think like me. Now, we talked about this in a previous sermon, but the reason he can say that without being arrogant is because he says, follow me because I'm following Christ. Now, what he's going to show us later is that there are others out there who 
claim to follow Christ, but they're not following Christ. But he says, have the same mindset that I do. It is the mindset of Paul. It's, it's this mindset that frames everything in relation to knowing Christ and making him known. It is this mindset that allows Paul to rejoice even though he's in prison. It is this mindset that allowed Paul to view his imprisonment through the lens of God's sovereign purpose. It's this mindset that allowed Christ to set aside his privilege and give his life as a ransom for many. It's this mindset that allows us to consider others as more important than ourselves. And it's this mindset that allows us to see through the lies of the false teachers. And it's this mindset that allows us to put the full weight of our confidence, of our hope, of our faith, and our trust in Christ Jesus and not in our performance. That's the mindset. And if you were listening to the scripture reading closely this morning, you, you saw the same idea. In Romans 8, Paul talk, t- t- touches, ugh, he talks about and touches on, that's very conflation, uh, the absolute significance of this idea of mindset. L- look at Romans 8. I have it on the screen here. Paul says here that it's a matter of life and death. Now, I think I highlighted in yellow. That might be hard to see. But this phrase says, set their minds, set their minds. That's the exact same Greek verb that Paul uses here at, that's translated think in Philippians uh, verse, chapter 3, verse 15. If you let those of us who are mature think this way, set their minds, it's the exact same verb, and it's the same idea. Look what he says here. For those who live according to the flesh, set their minds or think on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, set their minds or think on the things of the Spirit. Now look at the implications. For to set the mind on the flesh is death. But to set the mind on the Spirit is life and peace. Why? For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Now, that's a terrifying verse, but the concept is clear. Mindset is extremely important. If your mind is set on the flesh, you are dead. That's what Paul says here. The wrong mindset leads to death. This is critical. You must think correctly about the world. This means that you must view the world and and think about things with the lens of the scriptures as your guide. You must understand the truths that Paul has been teaching us over the last few months. You must view the world like the Apostle Paul. You must think like him. You must have the same mindset. That's what he says. Those of us who are mature must think this way. You must set your minds like I do on Christ. But if in case... Right, sometimes that can be a little bit daunting. But he adds this. He says, and if anything, if in anything you think otherwise, God will reveal that to you also. Only let us hold true to what we have attained. In other words, he's giving a little bit of an encouragement, saying, look, if you haven't arrived yet, if you're struggling in your maturity and your growth, you're a new believer, he says, it's okay. God will bring you along in due time. Keep, keep pressing forward. He's essentially saying, don't, don't worry. God will bring you to maturity. Just Hold true to what you already know is true in the gospel. So, we are called to imitate Paul in his thinking, in his mindset. We are to have the same mindset in life as the Apostle Paul because it's ultimately the mindset of Christ Jesus himself. We are to imitate others who imitate Paul. 
In other words, we're to imitate Paul's life. So not only his mindset, but his life. He says this, brothers and sisters, join in imitating me. And keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, this is a communal call to imitate Paul together. This is not an individual journey. So we at OVBC are to join together in imitating Paul, and we're to keep our eyes on others who are also imitating Paul. In other words, we're to, we're to be on this journey together. This is not an individual pursuit, but a communal pursuit. That is the beauty of the church. We, we imitate Paul because he imitates Jesus, and we also imitate others who are imitating Paul, imitating Jesus, because they're farther along than we are. If that makes sense. It, what this means is that not only do we read Paul and imitate Paul, but we also need to surround ourselves with more mature believers. You can't imitate other believers if you don't know them or spend time with them, if you don't have any relationships with them. Men, you need to surround yourself with other men who are farther along in the faith. And the same for women. You need to seek out other women who are more mature and can encourage you in your faith, and you can follow their example. This is what small groups is essentially about. Becoming in relationships so that we can learn to imitate, imitate others' faith. This is what fellowship should be about. And this is the beauty of the church. I mean, think about it. You cannot obey this command if you are not a part of a church. If you are a lone wolf kind of Sunday-only Christian, you cannot obey this command. You can't imitate people you don't know. Paul says, keep your eyes on them. You, you can't do that if you don't spend quality time with mature believers. The church is vital to our Christian lives. And you are vital to the life of this church. We all have a role to play here. And the OVBC must be a place where believers have covenanted together, not just to show up on Sundays, but to grow and imitate and grow together. We are to imitate those who are following the example of the Apostle Paul. We are to imitate Paul's mindset and we are to imitate his life. We are to join together in imitating the right people. But why? Why does he say this here? Why, why are we to always be imitating the right people? Why does he give us this command? Well, he tells us in the next verse. Scripture always gives us the reasons for the commands. He tells us, essentially because there are false believers out there and imitating them will lead you away from Christ. There, there are people in Paul's day, and there are people today, we just saw some in this video we watched, who claim the name of Christ, but are actually not believers. And imitating them will lead you down the wrong path. Look at verse 18. He gives the reason. Why must you imitate Paul? For many of whom I have often told you, and now tell you even with tears, walk as enemies of the cross of Christ. Many. He says, there are people out there who are walking, living, as enemies of the cross of Christ. They, they live their lives in a way that identifies them as enemies of Jesus. E even though they say, hey, I'm a Christian. Now, now when you think of someone who is an enemy of the cross of Christ... What, what types of images come to your head? My, I think of like Satanists with like pentagrams and upside down crosses or like Islamic terrorists like executing Christians or, or maybe like atheists, you know, trying to just get rid of all of Christian influence. That, that kind of sounds like an enemy of the cross of Christ. 
But that's not what Paul's talking about here. Paul has in mind people here who are claiming to be Christians, but in reality, they're enemies. This is why Paul speaks of them with tears. He says, I even tell you with tears. Because it's a tragedy. But but it's a danger to us. You need to make sure, Paul says, you're not imitating those people, the wrong people. So, how do we identify them? Well, Paul gives four descriptors of these people. A descriptor, number one, of an enemy of the cross is this. He says their end is destruction. Their end is destruction. Now, this is pretty forward. He says, if someone is an enemy of the cross of Christ, they will be condemned on the last day. Their end, where they are going, is destruction. That is the teaching of all of Scripture. The Bible teaches us, essentially, there are only two groups of humans. Those who put their faith in Christ and those who don't. And their end corresponds. Those who trust in Christ receive eternal life. Those who reject Christ receive eternal condemnation, eternal destruction. And so the implication here is don't imitate the people who are heading towards destruction. That's the first descriptor. The second descriptor is this. Their God is their belly. In other words, he's not saying they bow down to their stomachs. He's not saying they just eat a lot. This, this word here that's translated belly really gets at this idea of appetite. Their God is their desire. Their God is their urges. What drives their life is what they are urged to do, what they feel like doing. This group of people is driven by their appetites. They say they worship Jesus, but they really just worship their own physical desires. These are people who are given to gluttony and giving to fulfilling their sexual lusts. These are people like some, again, we saw in that video who are saying they preach Jesus, but they're really just preaching about money and health and wealth. Jesus came to make you healthy. Jesus came to make you happy. Do you see what what they're doing? They're appealing to those urges that you have. That's why it sounds great. It's wonderful. But Paul says their God is their belly. Their God is their appetites that they have. That's why they preach that and they have a $20 $20 million house or whatever it is. That's really the end and the, the point of their gospel. And the reason it's so dangerous is because it's, they've got the right words in there, but it's a distortion of the truth. Again, these are people who say they believe in Jesus, but they don't actually live as Jesus called us to live. These are people who call Jesus Savior, but they don't submit to Him as Lord. These are people who want the benefit of salvation and eternal life. But they don't want to pay the cost. They don't want to deny themselves and take up their cross. They're they're saying, oh yes, we're followers of Jesus, but they participate in all sorts of immorality. They claim to be Christians, but they live exactly like everyone else and pursue the exact same things as everyone else. Paul says, they're enemies of the cross. Thirdly, he says, they glory in their shame. Just a striking statement. They glory in their shame. In other words, they boast in what they should be ashamed of. They should be ashamed of what they're doing, but they celebrate it. Again, they claim the name of Christ, but they celebrate things the Bible calls sin. And on judgment day, they will be put to shame for their actions is the implication here. Now, now again, notice, these are not people who are struggling with sin. 
So it's not to say, oh, if you ever sin, then that means, you... no, no, no. These are people who are not confused. They are glorifying explicitly in what the Bible calls sin. Right? We, some people have made up, you know, the carnal Christian or a worldly Christian or, you know, oh yeah, they're a Christian, but they just don't take their faith that seriously. No, Paul says they're an enemy of the cross whose end is destruction because they're just following their appetite. They're not following Christ. The fourth description, and here's really the foundational one, with minds set on earthly things. Now, that's again the same Greek word there. That's the same one, think. Their mindset is on earthly things. And that's the foundational issue here that's driving these people. This is the reason for the other three. This is the main problem. They have the wrong mindset. Their mindset is on earthly things, or in the language of Romans 8, their mind is set on the flesh. Paul uses this exact same word as he uses earlier. The issue is that they do not have a Christ-like mindset. Again, look at, look at Romans 8. He says, for to set the mind on the flesh is death. For, to, for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God. That's why they're enemies. Their mind is set on the flesh. They are hostile to God, even though they say they aren't. For it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Paul says their minds are set on earthly things. While claiming Christ, they are actually walking hostile to God. It's an issue of mindset. Their wrong thinking has led them into sinful lives. Their minds are set not on spiritual things, but on earthly things. They, They had prayed the prayer to receive Christ, maybe, but they never repented of their sins. Again, they they claimed Jesus as Savior, but they they didn't submit to Him as Lord. They wanted the benefits of Jesus without obeying Jesus. This this, This issue of mindset is absolutely foundational. An earthly mindset, a focus on on the here and now rather than on Christ, is, is fatal. It's fatal to the Christian life. And And this may be striking, but an earthly mindset is actually satanic. It's a satanic mindset. Turn to Matthew 16. We're going to see this. Matthew 16, verse 21. This is a famous portion of Scripture. Jesus says this. Well, first, it's starting in the narrative. It says this in in Matthew 16, verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show His disciples... Again, frame this in the issue of mindset. Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he, Jesus, turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me. Listen to what he says. For you are not setting your mind, same verb, on the things of God, but on the things of man. Peter here had his mind set on the things of man, on earthly things. All he was doing to Jesus was saying, Jesus, you don't need to go suffer, don't you know? That's not God's good plan for your life. God wants you to be healthy, happy, and wise, Jesus. Jesus says, get behind me, Satan. Peter was doing the work of Satan trying to prevent Jesus from going to the cross. All because of an earthly mindset. Satanic. 
Jesus says, you are acting like Satan because your, thing, your mind is set on the things of man and not on the things of God. And watch what Jesus says right after this. The very next verse is this. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus says, Peter, not only am I going to die, if you want to follow me, take up your cross. You're coming with me. And that is exactly what's going on here. To follow Jesus is to crucify to yourself an earthly mindset. That's the connection. You see this connection. If you would have Jesus, you must deny yourself. These people that Paul's warning about here claim to be Christians, but they didn't deny themselves. He says their God is their appetite. They gave in to every appetite they had. Was it for sex? They had sex. Was it for food? They had food. Was it for whatever? Was it for the American dream? They gave their appetite to that. They followed every urge that they had. They lived just like the world. They had the same dreams and aspirations as the world. They claimed Christ, but they never picked up their cross to die. They claimed the blessing of Christ without following any of the commands of Christ. Now, Paul is not saying here that you should never think about anything earthly. Like if you're concerned about what you're going to have for lunch, well, then you're just not a Christian. That's not what Paul's saying. He's not saying that you can't ever struggle with that. We all do. Even Peter did, right? Peter drifted into an earthly mindset and Jesus rebuked him and Peter repented. But it's an issue of your life's mindset, of your orientation. What is your focus? If the entire focus of your life is earthly, is about this life. You may be in this category. I don't know you. Maybe some of you are here and you are in this category. You, you claim the name of Christ, but you live just like the world. You, you live as an enemy of the cross, Paul says, with tears. Maybe some of you are here and, and you're trusting in Christ, but you're drifting into an earthly mindset. Well, what are some of the marks of this? Well, some of the marks of an earthly mindset are Just what we find here. No desire to obey Christ. Maybe you do try to obey, but not really from the heart, just so people don't bother you. It's an outward show, just so maybe your parents don't bother you. Maybe other, your Christian friends won't bother you, but in private, you indulge all the sins of your heart. Looks like an earthly mindset looks like no desire for evangelism. You don't really see it as important. I mean, you, you might acknowledge it's important, but you don't, really share the gospel, or you really even have a desire to. I mean, at the end of the day, you really just don't care. Looks like no desire to read scripture. You would say maybe you agree with the Bible, but never pick it up. You would say you believe in Jesus, but you don't really have a desire to know any more about him or really grow. No prayer. You don't have a desire to pray. You don't pray unless maybe, you know, you need something or something bad happens. No time spent. And spiritual growth, maybe one hour a Sunday is the sum and substance of your spiritual life. Spend all the rest of your time in earthly pursuits, earthly distractions. No longing for heaven or for the return of Christ. I mean, yeah, you don't want to go to hell, right? Who does? But you don't really long to be with Christ. These things are marks of an earthly mindset. I mean, if you're drifting in this direction, you've been imitating the wrong people. That's the problem. You may be calling yourself a Christian, but you're living as a practical atheist. If this describes you, it's not time to despair. It's time to repent. 
Come back to Christ. Take action today. I I would encourage you, if you are drifting in this, this direction, it's time to wake up. Turn back to the way of Jesus. Pick up your cross and follow him. Turn back to faith in Christ. Deny yourself and follow him. Cry out to God for his mercy. He will help you. And if this is you, I would just encourage you, go talk to somebody. Grab a mature believer. Do what Paul says here. Grab a mature believer and say, I, I, I've, got, I've been imitating the wrong people. Help me. Help me. Because the truth is, again, this is a communal call. You are not in this alone. We're all in this together. That's the beauty of the gospel of Christ is, is that at one time we were all his enemies. But he died for us. And now Christ calls men and women everywhere to repent and turn to him in faith. So if you're here this morning and your faith is not in Christ, turn and put your faith in him. Don't leave this morning an enemy of the cross of Christ. He offers you peace and full forgiveness. He offers you himself. But you must place your faith in him and you must take up your cross, deny yourself and come after him. Don't die in your sin. Don't leave with no hope. Don't oppose Christ, put your faith in Him. And so Paul says there are enemies of the cross. But now Paul describes believers. And notice the stark contrast. He says this in verse 20. But our citizenship is in heaven. And from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power of That enables him even to subject all things to himself. So this is not an earthly mindset. This is a mind that is set on the things of the spirit. A heavenly mindset. A mind that is set on things above, Paul says in Colossians. A mind that is focused on Christ. Our end is resurrection and salvation. Our God and authority is Jesus Christ, the almighty Lord who subjects all things to himself. And we eagerly await his return. You see the contrast. They focus on pleasure here and now with no authority but themselves. We focus on then with Christ as our authority. Their end is destruction. Our end is resurrection and eternal life. The irony is this. Because of the power of Christ's resurrection, He will transform us one day to be glorious like Him, it says. Our resurrection bodies will be the fulfillment of everything that humanity was created to be. We will one day experience all of the legitimate pleasures that were created by God. And when we are resurrected on that last day and transformed, we will never get sick, never die, never experience pain or disease, and we will dwell with Jesus Christ and to each other forever in glory. That is our hope. That is why we don't have an earthly mindset. It's all passing away. Our hope is eternal. Our hope is in a person, Christ Jesus, and He is not only our Savior, but our Lord. He is not only our Lord, but the Lord of the universe, Paul says, who will subject all things and all people to Himself. And the point is this, Paul's saying, imitate people who understand this and live this way. Don't imitate people who are headed for destruction. Imitate the people who are imitating Christ. That's Paul's command, and that's his reason. And now he gives two applications. The first one is this, stand firm in the Lord. Look at verse 1 of chapter 4. Therefore, and really this therefore applies to everything he said before in Philippians. Therefore, my brothers, 
whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. The key word is thus. You could translate it in this way. So how how are the Philippians going to stand firm in the Lord? How are we going to stand firm in the Lord? By following everything that Paul has taught them in this letter. One commentator sums up this perfectly. He says, they are to stand firm in the Lord. The same Lord Jesus Christ, who as their Savior, not only will one day receive universal submission, but will also return from heaven and transform his people. They are not to be moved, whether by pagan opposition or Judaizers who promote obedience to the Mosaic law. In other words, Paul says, put your faith in Christ and let nothing move you. Stand firm together in what I've taught you. Put your hope in Christ. Don't get distracted and don't get pushed off course. And secondly, he says this, pursue reconciliation in the fellowship. Look what he says in verse 2 and 3. I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Now there's a reason Paul calls for these two women to reconcile after all he has just said. He's been calling for unity the entire letter and now he calls out to these women publicly. Now, remember, these letters would have been read out loud to the church. This is, this is striking. Can you imagine what it would have felt like to be sitting in that congregation as the excitement comes? We just got a new letter from the Apostle Paul. Let's open it up and read it. And they're reading through the whole letter and they get to this part. Here's Yodia maybe sitting on this side. Here's Syntyche sitting on this side. And all of a sudden they hear this. You know, they're, they're, they're reading along. They're amening. Oh, yes, this is good. Oh, we just love Paul. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Can you just imagine? Their face must have just flushed. They probably just hung their head. I mean, yeah. We don't know what the issue was. But here's what we do know. And we don't know who the true companion is. He's probably just talking to the church as a whole. But we do know that the issue must be serious because Paul never does this anywhere else. And my guess is that this, some, this disagreement they had was something that was threatening the unity of the church. And he, Paul reasons. He says, look, you've both labored in the gospel. You both are written in the book of life. Essentially, you're both on team Jesus. What are you doing? Reconcile, agree in the Lord. Paul says, essentially, someone else, please step, step in and help them. It's time, it's time to reconcile. It's time to agree. See, reconciliation in the church, in light of all that we've talked about, is not optional. We will have conflict, but we must reconcile. It's just like marriage. Conflict is not the sign of an unhealthy marriage or an unhealthy relationship. There's conflict in every marriage at some level and in every church. But the difference is between a healthy marriage and an unhealthy marriage is resolution. How you resolve it, how you handle it. Healthy marriages deal with and resolve their conflicts and grow closer together in the process. Unhealthy marriages bury the conflict, ignore it. And sweep it under the rug, building resentment and bitterness. And it's the same in a church. The, the sign of a true church is not lack of conflict, but how we handle it. We're all sinners. We're going to have conflict. The crucial issue, though, here on display is resolution. We must pursue reconciliation when there are disagreements and conflict, not ignore them. Because, Paul says, we are all on Team Jesus. We're written in the book of life. And so... Paul says we must stand firm together. 
as we await the return of Christ, we will come into contact with opposition. Externally, we may face opponents. We will face opposition from false teachers who try to infiltrate the church, claiming the name of Christ. Some will parade their legalism. Some will parade their sinful freedom. But Paul says, stand firm together, side by side, and denounce both of these errors. Sometimes conflict will arise. Disagreements will happen. Resolve them. Reconcile. Remember that Christ is at hand and there is gospel work to be done. And we must remember that we are all one in Christ. Let us evidence that by our love and humility we show to one another. How will we accomplish this? Paul says by imitating the right people and setting our mind on Jesus and aiming our lives at knowing Him and making Him known. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you are so good to us. Father, the truth is there's many dangers in this world, both physically and spiritually. Father, I pray you would give us discernment. And Father, I pray that you would help us by the power of your Spirit to have minds set on the kingdom of Christ. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you have enjoyed this week's Walking in Faith podcast. We encourage you to share this podcast with others in order to help spread God's message to all those in need. If you have any questions or comments, we would love to hear from you. Email us at walkinginfaith at orangevilla.org. You can help us spread this podcast by writing a review at iTunes. And don't forget to visit us online at orangevilla.org. There you will find more information about our ministry, as well as share your thoughts, submit prayer requests, and find out how you can help others to grow in God's love. Until next week, may God bless you in everything you do.